You've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? Your move, creep. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bledsoe, uh, and this week we are talking about the guests from 2014. Uh, joining me to talk about it is a first-time uh, guest to this show, uh, but he's someone I've been friends with on Twitter for a while, uh, very nice guy and someone I want to talk to for a long time. Uh, you might have heard him on the Cobwebs podcast and Schlock and Awe. Uh, it's Preston Mitchell. Preston, how you doing? I'm doing really well, Matt. How are you? I am doing great. I'm excited to talk about the guests with you. So I'm glad you're here. <laughs> no, likewise. Thank you for having me. Um, no, uh, I've been, uh, I, I love Film Feast uh, quite a bit. Um, I listen to you like pr pretty much every week. And um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a real privilege to, to just be on here and talk about uh, a pretty, a really special movie. So Thank you. Thank you. That was very nice. I, no one said it's a privilege yet. I think most people are like, they're like, this is a court order, Matt. I could be here in a film feed. No, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, well, very nice of you. I'm still like flattered that like, yeah, um, you said a lot of nice things even before we started recording about the show. So um, no, it's great to get you here because I've, I've heard you on cobwebs now and I've heard you on chalk and all a couple of times. And like, obviously we've been uh, friendly on Twitter for a while. Like, um, it's just nice when you pop up. I feel like you just come in with a lot of positivity and uh, like, I like reading, you know, your opinions on what you're watching. And I, I think, I don't know if I told you this, but I, uh, you posted your like letterboxed uh, top 100 movies, I believe, or yes. uh, favorite movies. And I was going through that. And I'm like, I'm like, man, we have a lot in common <laughs> like, and, and you have very good taste. My friend, I was like, man, he's got some great movies in here. And I'm like, I, yeah, we can definitely talk about some stuff. So I'm glad we finally got something together here um, to talk about. Um, uh, so yeah, the, welcome to the show. And I mean, before we uh, talk about the guest, uh, I think, you know, we talk about the kind of stuff we've seen lately. Um, I know you said you have a couple things you want to talk about. So, uh, so what have you been watching lately? Sure, sure. Um, uh, well, beginning, uh, beginning kind of a couple of weeks ago, now that um, a lot of um, the, the uh, Academy Award nominees have been coming to streaming, I've been catching a lot of those. And uh, last week, I actually... Uh, watched uh spencer uh 2021 um have you seen uh spencer matt not caught up with that one yet even though i think now it's like on hulu or something right <laughs> it is it is okay. that's where i saw it and uh uh matt it is really really good and uh I, I didn't i i knew it was going to be good like good in like the sense that okay this is gonna be very workmanlike and you know, this is at least going to be like quality and, and well-produced, you know, in that Oscar sheen type of way. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but, um, but uh, I, I guess as a bit of background, um, it's directed by, um, I'm going to kind of, uh, I'm sorry, guys, I'm going to like mess up his name a little bit. His name is Pedro Lorraine. Um, I believe he's a, uh, a Chilean filmmaker. And uh, 
of course, it stars, uh, you know, the great Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana. And basically it's a uh, historical fiction. So it's not, it's about real people, but it's, um, it's, it's essentially um, a drama where it's dramatizing um, a holiday weekend in, in the early 90s when she travels to the Queen's estate. And um, <clears throat> Timothy Spall, uh, uh, who played, uh, he's probably best known in the States for playing Peter Pettigrew in the Harry Potter movies. He is, um, he's kind of the lead of, of uh, Queen Elizabeth's uh, staff, if you will. And um, she's basically deciding that, you know, her marriage isn't, isn't working with Prince Charles. And, and the movie is kind of a, I, this I wasn't expecting. It's, a, it's kind of a psychological thriller almost um, that really digs into her psyche and a lot of her, her fears and um, kind of the sources of a lot of her rebellion against um, the, the royalty that she's been indoctrinated into. And uh, there's a lot of, uh, Pedro's like um, the way the movie is shot, the way it's filmed. Um, it, it it's very. <laughs> there's a part where they even reminded me of The Shining at points. To be oh, honest, okay. <laughs> uh, with with yeah, the, the Shining with uh, Princess Diana. I was not expecting that when I watched this movie. But um, in, in all seriousness, uh, Kristen Stewart really does um, the hype around her performance is real. Like she delivers such a nuanced, rich. Uh, beautiful uh, masterclass of, of a performance in this. Uh, Sally Hawkins, um, who, uh, uh, um, who is uh, probably best known also for The Shape of Water and some other things, plenty of other things. Um, she's kind of her uh, confidant in the movie. Uh, Sean Harris pops up uh, from, from the, the, uh, the latter Mission Impossible movies. He's in it as well. Um, and uh, oddly enough, it's scored uh, by Johnny Greenwood. Um, who uh, it, it, it kind of feels like uh, another carryover from his work in, in uh, The Power of the Dog, where it's very, it's, it's very uh, phantom thread, thready in, in terms of just how dissonant and unsettling you feel uh, on a soundscape level. It's a, it's a, it's a, I really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a really great film. Wow. Okay. Uh, you sold me better than anybody else has sold me on that movie yet. Like I wanted to see it. Um, I heard good things. Kristen Stewart obviously got a lot of buzz. Um, but I, I'd heard a little bit it's, it, that it was weird. It was not like some straightforward biography movie, you know. Um, so, no, it sounds really good. I really have no excuse because it's on Hulu and I have Hulu. <laughs> but um, just kind of getting around to things, like, get, you know, find time to watch things. But, um, yeah, I got to make that priority because it does sound very, very interesting. So, yeah. No, it's really good. It's really good. Cool. Okay. Uh, what else you got? Um, I, uh, I also saw, um, <laughs> so I, I tweeted about this movie on, uh, last week because it was my first time seeing it. Uh, I'm a big fan of a certain lead actor who's in this movie, um, and it is Valley Girl uh, from 1983. And the moment I tweeted uh, the gif uh, from this thing, literally my, my Twitter exploded all night uh, to the point where I had to just put my phone down and just finish the movie because um, I was having so much fun. Um, but no, Valley Girl, uh, it's, it's, um, it stars uh, Nick Cage when he's like young and, and baby-faced and honestly, um, like just super super charming and funny like oh uh, but, uh, so if people don't know uh valley girl is a teen movie a, a teen comedy a teen romantic comedy where uh that's kind of a take on romeo and juliet but set in uh you know the, the 80s you know valley versus uh, uh uh the punk city subculture and nick cage very much represents the latter and deborah foreman um 
who I believe is a is a very prominent scream queen. Um, she uh, she portrays uh, the ballad girl of the title, and basically uh, she falls in love with Nick Cage at a party, and vice versa. You know, while she's uh, also dating uh, Michael Bowen, a really young <laughs> baby face Michael Bowen, um, <laughs> who's best known from. Uh, He's uh he's Buck from Kill Bill. Oh and, uh, yeah, yep. <laughs> it's also in Jackie Brown. Yeah, yeah, and and the cast is, it, it, I mean, much like any really popular classic teen movie. I mean, the cast is stacked. I mean, uh, Frederick Forrest and um, I think her name's Colleen Camp. Like they're reuniting from Apocalypse Now, uh, to just be goofy and play uh, Deborah Foreman's loving parents. And 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 their relationship, I thought, was refreshing for a teen movie, just because um. I'm so used to there being like a lot of tertiary drama um, with uh, uh, um, like the, the family life of a lot of lead characters of these people. And I mean, that's saying something because Nick Cage being like a uh, very, very street smart in this movie, like he, I expected, initially expected there would be a lot more um, like just honestly, I guess uh, more depressing drama around him at first. But the movie is just fun, and and I I just again I just found it really refreshing. I I had heard of this movie for several years now, but I kind of avoided it despite my Nicolas Cage fandom, uh, just because I thought it was just going to be okay. This is A's nostalgia. I don't I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm going to like this. But but Martha Coolidge, who um, I had no idea, also made another of one of my uh, kind of like secret favorite teen movies with uh, Real Genius, which she directed, I think uh, a couple years after this. Uh, she really brings a lot to it. It has a really great soundtrack. Um, and yeah, I just had a, had a great time with it. It's uh, so far, it's one of my like probably top five uh, movie discoveries of, of this new year. Wow, nice. Um, yeah, I, I really like Valley Girl. I actually remember I watched Valley Girl for the first time uh, kind of right at the beginning of the pandemic, I feel like, like probably March, April, 2020. Cause I, I feel like it, it was kind of a weird time and I was kind of looking for movies I thought might be like uplifting and comforting and uh, kind of trying to watch stuff I hadn't seen. And like, I know I'm pretty sure- It's friend, definitely comforting for sure. It is. I think our friend <laughs> Daniel's a big fan of Valley Girl. I mean, a lot of people are fans of Valley Girl and like even talked about some podcasts and was like, I should watch Valley Girl. I threw it on um, and it was delightful. I loved it. And I, I remember the part that really, the whole movie's great. Uh, but really stuck with me was the um, Melt, with, melt you. with You. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. The Melt With You montage is like, just so good. I was like, it's this blistering. is what I needed for my soul. I was like, this is so good. Um, Nicholas Cage is great. Like, you know, he's always been great. And it's like, it's different for him and what we're kind of used to now. But um, yeah, Martha well, Coolidge. He's, yeah. he's not, he's, he's great, but he's not like, he's funny, but he's not Vampire's Kiss funny. You well, know? yeah. <laughs> and he, and he's, yeah. And he's not like raising Arizona funny where he's super, you know, just, you know, uh, doing a lot of like physical, really great physical uh, comedy here. He's kind of pulling that back and playing uh, more of a more of a downer person, right. you know, yeah, and, yeah. and and he's allowed to be that charming, you know, leading man, you know, who, you know, you know, really just again, ju ju <laughs> just judging from the, the way my tweet was received from so many people uh, who grew up with, on this thing, like. Uh, probably won over a huge generation of, of fans, you know, from this movie alone. And and Deborah Foreman, I I don't want to just you know fanboy about Nicolas Cage because she really <laughs> does ground the movie and has has a lot of the the main conflict being the Juliet of the story, and uh, and and the fact that um, you never you never dislike her, you always see where she's coming from, and I think that's so important for a romantic comedy where you want it to be really funny and really 
you know, really, you want to have, you know, characters that you enjoy watching, but you also want to, you know, see them win at the end and have good chemistry and just be sweet. And it's, and that's what, you know, like you said, it's a sweet comfort blanket. Yeah. She's very likable, very cute. And like, just like, you know, you want to root for them, her yeah. and Nicolas Cage as a couple. Uh, yeah, no, it was, I really like Valley Girl. I'm glad that's one of your top five discoveries so far. That's pretty cool. Um, it's a movie that I feel like it'd be hard to hate, you know, it's like, it's, <laughs> it's a very likable movie. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, that's cool. I'm glad you liked it so much. Okay. So you dug Valley Girl, uh, Valley Girl. I'm sorry. I can't speak. Uh, <laughs> <I'm glad. laughs> uh, what else have you seen? Like, anything else or? Well, um, uh, do y'all, do y'all mention rewatches during this section? Sure. There's, there's no rules here. This is like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no uh, holds barred. <laughs> Well, um, I um, I rewatched uh, Bullet uh, actually uh, with uh, with Steve McQueen uh, this past weekend, um, and uh, it, it was a it was a long overdue rewatch actually because uh, um, you know I saw it uh, last time I saw it was uh, goodness I believe yeah it was actually in college a few years ago for me so um, and with all the discourse um, centering around uh, Steven Spielberg uh, the uh, if, if no one knows the news was he. Um, he's, uh, he's planning uh, to do a brand new reimagining of uh, the Frank Bullet character with, a, I believe, a new story. Um, and so I decided to rewatch Bullet. And uh, yeah, what a, what a great film. Um, very procedural, Steve McQueen uh, just being uh, you know, the, the really cool detective in one of his most iconic roles, you know, the iconic cardigan and turtlenecks and... Um, and, and what really got me about this rewatch was uh, everyone talks about the car chase and me not having seen it in quite a few years. Uh, uh, I always remember it as a car chase movie when it's really a really, a really tight uh, procedural uh, where uh, there's so much tension uh, between the violence and a lot of the, uh, and there's a lot of investigation going on. Um, and uh, it was really refreshing for me to see a movie like that, um, even though it was a, even though it was a rewatch for me, uh, just because I'm so used to the the fast pace of of even uh, the even even older movies that I watch uh, these days. So uh, yeah, it was just a it was just a great time to rewatch that. And uh, honestly, I'm I'm very excited for um, uh, the the chance of a Steven Spielberg uh, bullet. So. I am too. Uh, it's like um, you have not heard it yet because when we're recording this, but I did so with Rob Antiquera and I mentioned I watched Duel for the first time because of all the Spielberg nice bullet, bullet talk. And uh, yeah, he can direct a car chase. We're going to be fine, people. It's okay. <laughs> like <laughs> He can direct Bullet. It's okay. Um, and uh, it's funny you bring up Bullet because it was actually, I've never talked on the podcast, but I watched a few weeks ago for the first time. Um, it was on my list. So perfect, uh, <laughs> perfect kind of setting me up there. <laughs> Um, okay, I feel bad because I I liked Bullet. I I don't I didn't love Bullet, but I liked Bullet. It kind of mm -hmm. I didn't want to give in to like what everyone has said about Bullet that I've heard for years. It's like people are like Bullet's okay, but the car chase is amazing. You know what I mean? The rest of the movie's not that great. Um, yeah, yeah. I didn't think the rest of the movie was okay. I thought it was better than okay, but I did think the car chase was like clearly like a standout you know section of the movie. But um, I was, yeah, I just, I think it might've been, you know, maybe like the mood I was in or maybe I wasn't super focused. I kind of felt like it was not keeping my focus very well. And that could totally be me as the problem. <laughs> like, um, no, no, I, I, um, <clears throat> no, that, that makes sense because uh, the, the, I think the very first time I saw Bullet, um, 
because uh, I, I was used to like Great Escape Steve McQueen and like Magnificent Seven Steve McQueen and like just more, I guess, even though The Great Escape is a lot longer than Bullet, like I feel like it's a lot more, um, uh, just that director, uh, uh, John Sturges, like he, like he was definitely making action movies for the time. And so the, the pacing is a lot more of, I guess, of what we're used to. And I remember the first time I saw Bullet, uh, when I was younger, I was very, very disappointed with it. Um, I, I was one of those people for a while who was just like, ah, you know, it's fine. And then the, the car chase was on. I was like, oh my God, this is great. You know? uh, <laughs> and then it goes back to, to, the, to the mystery stuff. And I, I think um, because I knew what to expect this time around um, and, and the previous time I watched it, because my esteem started to grow uh, in college onwards. And, and this time, um, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, I can't say it's one of my favorite films, um, I'm not gonna, I, I can't say that it's gonna be a movie that I'm just gonna revisit over and over again for a long time, but it, um, um, I, I think I liked, I, the fact that I expected the investigation aspect to be at the fore and the, the action to be like opposite, um, I, I think, uh, I think my expectations were, 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 uh, kind of at a, at a, at a good little calm, <laughs> but I, I totally get where you're coming from. Totally. Yeah. And I felt like I pretty well level set expectations for years and years. Like, cause everyone's like, you know, it's not going to be just all car chases or all action. It's kind of procedural, but, um, who knows? It kind of, I, I feel like it, a few people have said though, it almost feels like a movie you kind of, it grows on you a little bit. Cause you just kind of have to, I don't know. It's, uh, it's not like, it's definitely not, I wouldn't call it a hangout movie, but it's like, it seems like a movie that people kind of come back to and they appreciate it more. Like the first time you're not going to be blown away by it, maybe the car chase, but not everything else, but then you kind of <laughs> get back on its wavelength. And it's like just a cool procedural story. You know, I, I don't know. I would, I would watch it again. I just, uh, you know, I kind of thought I, <laughs> I was like, okay, I've set my expectations. I'm going to really, really <laughs> like this. Uh, and I was like, it's okay. It's the three-star movie to me. And I don't, I don't know. I feel bad, but um, it's all good. It's all good. Queen wears cool cardigans. I don't know. Like it's like, <laughs> um and we're recording this i know daniel is doing his uh mcqueen march madness we haven't heard the episode on bullet i know there will be one um i'm very curious to hear what they have to say about it um that was kind of part of the reason i watched bullet finally too was that i was um doing because you were just on the great escape uh episode they did um which was yeah which i I love the episode i I thought i thought uh you know y'all did a y'all did a really great job like uh, y'all had different like viewpoints on it and the way they all cluster together i mean y'all have great chemistry all together anyways so when i that hit my uh my, my streaming app i was like ooh, like this is <laughs> i just i feel like i blew through that episode like i was in the gym working out to it and i was like oh man now okay now i have to work now darn <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah i still uh i'm going back like i'm like did i say it in like the last hour of great escape am i stupid like i you know i was like did i say that uh but no i uh <laughs> I, you know, I didn't, that I did not expect that was talking about like expectations for a movie. And then it's like, wait, they get out and they just kind of go around Europe and are trying to, I, I didn't expect any of that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I kind of, I was doing that episode about Steve McQueen and like, he's doing the whole month. So I don't know what the episode is yet. Cause we're recording this in, uh, it's like March 3rd and it's probably just having McQueen on the brain. Like, yeah, I know, yeah. It's probably out to like <laughs> April. So I don't know, but, uh, but yeah, we got McQueen on the brain. So I do, I do like him a lot. He's a very like, he's like a real movie star you know like unique presence like he just has like a presence to him i think we talked about in the great escape he doesn't have like the widest range in the world but it's like does it really matter when you're like that cool and like you know or just you know that a much of a movie star and like a presence so um 
I mean, he's, yeah, he's great in Bullet. I just, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll give him another chance someday. I know. I just, I just, the first time I wasn't like knocked over by it or anything, but. Oh no, that's completely understandable. Um, I actually have a quick recommendation to make if that's okay, based on okay, what yeah. you just said. Yeah. Well, cause you, cause you said like how Bullet's not quite, not a hangout movie, but it's also, you know, it might not be like the uh, people's favorite procedural. And I think the answer to your, your critiques might be Junior Bonner, if you've heard of that. I have heard of that. Um, so um, Junior Bonner, I actually saw around the time I saw Bullet, because uh, uh, I, I kind of, it wasn't a successful phase of mine, but I went through, I went through a big Clint Eastwood phase back in high school, and then that was around the time that I, um, I was, I was dabbling into see McQueen a little bit, and uh, like I said, like that time when I watched Bullet, I wasn't, you know, uh, you know, I, I was very kind of unimpressed with it, but then I saw Junior Bonner. Uh, Cause I loved uh, the Sam, the, the few Sam Peckinpah movies I had seen. And uh, basically um, for what I can remember, he's a, uh, actually I want a copy of it. I need to pull it out soon, but um, he's, uh, he's basically uh, this like aging rodeo star and uh, Robert Preston from the music man is like, is his dad and Ida Lupino. Um, uh, <laughs> the the old movie star is his mom, and and he's he's acting with some like titans from the old Hollywood days. I mean, Robert Preston was big in the in the musical scene for for a while, and you know, acting so many things. And it's just one big hangout movie. Like it literally, like there's enough of a plot with him trying to get back into the radio, the radio, Jesus, the <laughs> the, the the rodeo cowboy game, and it's it's almost a neo western in the way that it's it's executed but it is um in Steve McQueen's performance like it's not gonna wow you or anything like that but the way that he's challenging himself to be with these these other thespians and he's being directed by Sam Peckinpah it's a it's just a laid-back cozy time um that I that I plan on revisiting soon because again just McQueen's on the brain so yeah <laughs> no I'll have to check it out and it's a it's a Peckinpah movie which I want to see more of his stuff too um so yeah, okay. No, that's a good recommendation. Um, okay, so Bullet, do you have anything else? Or uh... that's uh that's that's uh, that's what I've been watching for the most part. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, that was good stuff. Uh so and Bolt was on my list, so that that was a good segue. Uh so <laughs> um okay, like I told I can't remember now I can't remember what I said on the air what before that we started recording, but uh <laughs> been very busy lately. Uh work's been insane and uh have not had a lot of time to watch movies. Um but I kind of dug back into the letterbox uh, logs and was like, what do I not talk about? Um, and there's a couple things I found. So uh, when Carmelita was on talking about From Dustal Dawn and it was about Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino, she had mentioned a movie called Four Rooms, um, which is an yes, an anthology movie with the two of them doing segments and the two other segments, oh boy, I always have names, are done by <laughs> Alison Anders, and I think his name is Andre Rockwell. They were all like the hot indie directors of the early 90s, like the post Sundance boom. Like, you know, they all kind of had yeah. the movies that were kind of like indie darlings. Um, so they made this anthology together. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry to my dear friend Carmelita, but I, I can't remember <laughs> if she even said she liked it that much, but she just recommended, she said, oh, if you love Robert Regas, Quentin Tarantino, you should see the anthology they did. I think I mentioned like I put it off for years because I hadn't heard good things. I did not like it. I really didn't like it. Um, the the first two segments are by uh, Alexandria Rockwell and Allison Anders, and I thought those were the two worst segments. Um, 
oh, ones wow. about like witches. I don't know. It was like it was that was the worst one. It was very bad. Uh, it was like, uh, you know, it's basically it's an anthology. And the, the through line is it's all in a hotel, interlocking stories. And um, Tim Roth is a bellhop. I think it's his first night on the job as a bellhop. Uh, so he's kind of bouncing between these different rooms, four rooms, and going between all these stories. Um, and he's kind of our connecting tissue. And like, um, yeah, he gets involved with like some witches who I <laughs> who I think <laughs> need semen, if I remember. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they find Tim Roth and they're like, hey, we need your help. And uh, I mean, it's this weird, goofy thing. I couldn't get into it. Um, God, I can't remember <laughs> what the second segment even is. Um, oh, the second segment's really like a weird, like, Tim Roth gets dragged into like this couple's kind of weird, a married couple's like weird sex role play thing. It's kind of better than the first one. Then, thank God, Robert Rodriguez comes along and has the best segment in the movie called like Misbehaviors, I believe, which is like, it's a, it's a good segment because like the other ones are so ridiculous and seem to have no point. This one's like straightforward. It's like um, these two kids are at the hotel. Their parents are um, Antonio Banderas, who I think just walked off the set of Desperado <laughs> uh, at this time. <laughs> and I can't remember who played the mom, but like the, the parents are, yeah, Antonio Banderas and this woman and like they are going out for the night and he tells Tim Roth, uh, hey, just, he's like, you know, check on my kids every once in a while. If they call you or anything, like take care of them, tries to pay him. Um, uh, Tim Ross, like, I really don't have time for that. <laughs> he's like, I have my job. And <laughs> Tony Bader is kind of threatening him, but he's like, giving him, you know, it's like, uh, Tony Bader is having a lot of fun. And it's the best segment because the kids are just like, um, right, you know, fucking shit up. And like, it gets really crazy. Like, how, you know, it's just the most straightforward. It's like, okay. These, and that's the Rodriguez segment. The, yeah, the uh, Rodriguez segment. Yeah, and it's like you just the two kids are just messing the room up, and things are getting crazier. And Tim Ross trying to deal with it, and it ends, and he has a great punchline. That's the other problem. The other two, they don't have good punch. Like if you're doing an anthology, I feel like you have to end the segment strongly. <laughs> and like the <laughs> his ends so well, I'm like, what a great payoff for that segment. Like it had a point. It was start to finish. It was great. Um, that was the highlight. And then the last one is Tarantino segment um, where he's in it. And playing like a fast mouth, uh, fast talking uh, Hollywood executive or some kind of Hollywood hotshot, real oh, tough wow. stretch for him in '95. Uh, it was funny. <laughs> and, uh, I basically played himself, I think. And um, yeah, and it's just uh, Tim Roth gets kind of uh, method acting. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tim Roth kind of gets sucked into some kind of uh, game with them. I won't say any more. Kind of like a drinking game, like a bet kind of going on. It gets a little crazy. Um, that one's okay uh it's it's not oh, wow. great i thought i did not enjoy it very much but the first i mean like it got better for the last two segments and i don't think it's just because i'm a big fan of rodriguez and tarantino i think they're genuinely like the better written better put together segments so um yeah it wasn't great uh sorry carmelita i don't remember even like four rooms but you were like i didn't <laughs> see it i saw it didn't care for it but uh that, that, that's been on my list for a while and uh, I have been kind of putting it off for the reasons that you mentioned because like <laughs> even my closest friends um, who uh, who I trust with uh, with uh, with movies and whatnot even they're like pressing up movies not great <laughs> so yeah <laughs> it's what I heard for years but I, I'm glad I kind of just finally saw it and you know crossed it off I was like okay I saw it for myself and I mean really the last two segments I think are at least worth watching I think the Rodriguez right, right. are worth watching the first two I could go without uh for a long time <laughs> um uh but yeah the second two were good um so um i also watched a a movie 
that's been widely unavailable for a long time. It just finally got a Blu-ray. Have you heard of The Farmer? <laughs> I have not actually. Okay. Uh, I think this came up on Pure Cinema a couple times. And like, I think Elder Kane really wanted to see The Farmer. And it was like a running joke that it was like completely on it. You couldn't see it anywhere. I don't think it made it past VHS. Um, oh, and wow. uh, I think Scorpion put it out recently. Uh, I got through Diabolic DVD. And I was like, I have to buy this movie because it's been on. A, I couldn't see it. And like, it's become, you know, it comes like a, a forbidden fruit. And, uh, and even this is another one where expectations were set. People were like, don't it's not too crazy don't you know don't think it's going to be like amazing um it's a straightforward 70s like revenge film basically it's about a soldier returns home from the war um to his like family farm and the bank's gonna foreclose on it and then he kind of gets involved with uh some mobsters i guess and they they kind of you know doing getting a little money from them and then like things really escalate and um a guy see and now i can't remember this is what happens when you've watched things like weeks ago and you're trying to explain them on the podcast <laughs> he somehow gets roped into like a way more serious situation and i think a, a mobster basically pays him to take out other mobsters and the, cool. the farmer yeah i mean i it's it it is not as exciting <laughs> as anyone would pitch it to you um oh <laughs> there's like a lot you, of you kind of had me for a second i was like oh that this is how everyone pitched it to me it's like oh cool a 70s like revenge movie you know it's like um but it's it's long stretches of nothing happening um kind of boring. a lot of weird segments with like weird like folk songs if i remember right um this is, <laughs> it gets the last like 15 minutes is pretty great because the farmer uh shows up at uh at this like warehouse and he starts killing all the bad guys and there's some um, insane like shotgun work like i don't they went really hard with like he he's shooting guys with a shotgun and they you, i mean they left the strings and i don't care they're pulling guys <laughs> by strings like and so he, he shoots them and they just get like ripped back and like just he's blowing guys away and this insane shotgun work and this is the most exciting thing in this whole movie <laughs> like um oh so, so it's not, one of those where nothing else kind of matches that in your opinion or and, yeah i mean there's some other crazy stuff I feel like someone gets blinded with acid or something like oh, it wow. has <laughs> It's peppered, oh, wow. it's peppered with crazy moments, but like there's a lot of downtime. I felt like it's just not uh, super extraordinary. Um, really has no one I even really recognize in the cast. I mean, I'm sure if I, you know, like, oh, they're from this, but um, it's right. not a super exciting or, you know, great movie. I mean, it was, I thought it was fine. I'm glad I saw it finally because, like, okay, I couldn't see that. I saw it um it was kind of hyped up in like your 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 proximity yeah. years yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah always happens with the movies where it's like they're unavailable and then you finally see them and uh you know it's it's hard to live up to expectations sometimes so um yeah. it's fine the farmer's fine uh it's like so, um it's better than four rooms i thought that's so i'll say that <laughs> oh man <laughs> i'm sorry i really had a tough time um uh Okay, last thing. And the best thing uh, I saved for last. Um, I watched a movie uh, called Smooth Talk. Have you ever heard of Smooth Talk? I have. Uh, I have. Is that the one with uh, Treat Williams and Laura Dern? That's exactly. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, it's on, I, again, I actually think it's hard to see. Like, you can't really pay to stream it. It has a Criterion uh, Blu-ray, but... Um, that's how I've heard of it is uh, I, I see that cover around and I've noticed yeah. a, a bunch of people have been like discovering it lately. Um, but it, it's been, it's been hard for me to stream. So I'm like, should I just, eh, well, well, I'll let you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're fine. Uh, so I 
I think I mentioned this with Carmelita, where like I thought I'd canceled my Criterion network criterion streaming thing and it popped back up i had paused it and i was like oh i have it back um so i was like looking through there and they had i think it was laura dern's birthday and they had a couple movies of her smooth talk was on there on the front page and i was like i've heard about this i've seen the the blu-ray a lot at barnes noble and i go to shop like what let me just watch it um it's really good it completely subverted expectations laura dern um plays like this uh, this teenager kind of in um rural northern california like lives it's not a farm but kind of lives out in farmland with her family um kind of a naive teenage girl it's like a coming of age movie for most of it it's like her and her friends kind of hanging out doing stuff and like her and her mom having some drama because you know it's teenage girl and her mom they don't get along they're fighting um and then it takes this like real sharp (laughs) like left turn i think about maybe an hour into the movie um treat williams is kind of like in the background for the first part he kind of pops up here and there but he's not really involved until um i don't want to say too much but i won't say too much but it's basically she's kind of just at the house by herself her family's gone like to some party or barbecue and treat william shows up at her house and he's so <laughs> menacing like so quietly oh, wow. menacing and there's there's this amazing scene that goes on for a while with just the, this flimsy just the screen door between them and they're talking and you're so scared for her um because he's this older guy and you just know he's a bad guy but it's like he's still trying to charm her he has this, it's not he's not overtly like evil seeming or isn't like a monster because he's like this you know handsome guy and like is charming but you just know he has this like weird edge to him you just feel like there's danger and Lord Dern is so innocent. You're like, oh no, d- you don't hurt her. <laughs> and like um, and they're great at doing both of those things, especially in that era, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I usually think of Treat Williams as like a nice kind of guy, you know, like, but he's so like quietly menacing in this. And like, I was really <laughs> impressed with him. Like, I really didn't see him do anything like this. And uh, um, I mean, Laura Dern's great. She's like always great. And uh, they're both, the scene is amazing. Like the whole movie I was enjoying, even as like this kind of like, just kind of coming of age thing. And it, you know, not a whole lot happens, but it's still interesting because the performances are good. And then this happens and I won't say where it ends up um but even that was not what i expected it was like they kept kind of subverting expectations uh directed by a woman named joyce chopra who i don't know why she didn't direct more um i think only a couple things that she did and uh this is so good and so well made um yeah i was i was just kind of shocked i was like who directed this and i was like oh she only did like a couple other movies um but yeah it's really good it's really really good i highly recommend it if you have the criterion channel or maybe even blind by the blu-ray i don't know i'm thinking of buying the blu-ray next time there's a sale so uh but yeah i really liked it it was great no i have to check that out um uh you know i have been hearing uh things about it like uh definitely lately uh, i think it was when uh it may have been most recently whenever i um i saw that it was laura, laura dern's birthday of course she's a you know she's a living legend you know super super great actress and uh yeah i mean and just the fact that um much like Valley Girl, uh, honestly, it's another coming of age movie uh, directed by a woman, which I which I think you don't really get enough of, or at least I haven't seen enough of. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I always love supporting that sort of thing. Yeah. And I feel like you definitely feel the influence of like, OK, this is a female director um, yeah. kind of following this girl around. It doesn't feel exploitative at all. It feels like um you know, she's in good hands, I guess you could say. And like, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's good. It was, I was really, you know, kind of surprised by it because I didn't really know 
quite what to expect. The cover, I think if you see the cover, it's like, it just looks like, what is this, like a fun comedy? Because it's just like Laura Dern and Treat Williams kind of standing by like a, like in a porch, like, hey, you know, it's like, what is this? And uh, not the movie I expected, not the movie I expected, but uh, but very good. Um, and yeah, that was really, that was all I had to, to pull out because I was, I was like, I went, I went back and I was like, I got some stuff, but I didn't, but it was kind of tough because like I said, I've been just trying to, uh, you know, survive work <laughs> and i told you before we started recording um i guess to move on to the guests um i had to watch the guest in like three 30 minute chunks over three <laughs> like, um but i'd seen it before so that was okay but uh um but yeah we can we can jump into the guests now um your suggestion uh and I, I don't know if i told you this or not but i have like a long like list i keep like in my phone like notes and uh of movies i want to talk about and the guest is on the list of like movies to talk about um oh nice yeah so i was like yeah good call it's on it was on the list <laughs> so yeah i'm glad we're talking about it um but i will let you start you're the guest and you suggested so what I, I guess what are your kind of general thoughts on the guest and maybe you want to talk about when you first saw the guest or anything like that yeah yeah um <clears throat> i uh i've i've been a guest goodness i well i am a guest on here um <laughs> lol i had to make that really bad pun no but uh i i've I've been a fan of this movie ever since the first time I saw it. And actually um, it was one of those, uh, it came out in 2014. Um, I don't know if I saw it. Um, I think it was the end of that year that I saw it. I, whenever it came out on video uh, was when I saw it. So maybe it was the earlier part of 2015 uh, perhaps, but either way um, I remember, um, you know, my, uh, I had some friends of mine uh, who were, you know, film majors and, uh, it, the three of us got together one night and uh, one of them rented it, I think for Redbox. And so he was just like, dude, I've heard this movie's awesome. Uh, and uh, cause we were all uh, really, we all really, really liked uh, the team's last movie, You're Next. And uh, which I think put a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, the film world on the radar of the team of Adam Wingard who directed this and Simon Barrett, who is uh, I believe the, the co-writer of this and not the, the complete writer. And um, your next is kind of like, uh, at least for me, it was kind of like a, a fun throwback to the, the 80s, 70s, if you will, like a little bit kind of home invasion uh, movie that, that um, perhaps we get too much of um, at, at some point in, the in time. But I remember that being a blast. And, and so watching The Guest, I had, I had no idea what it was because I, again, only knew that it was from these creators and it just melt in my brain um literally from the very moment that uh dan stevens uh, comes into the um he arrives at the the peterson household and and uh the uh, the mom i think her i think she's played by uh sheila kelly i think um lets him in uh, her son's room um and he just sits there and just stares off and you hear the Mm. <laughs> this this long synth motif behind him and he's, he's just staring off and I was just like, oh, okay, um, this is going to be my kind of movie. And sure enough, it, uh, it was that. It's just, I think this movie is just so much fun. It's taut. It's super tense when it needs to be. And, and what really gets me about this movie is that it has this super, it has a super great sense of humor about it, even though it's very much an action thriller with a, with a little bit of a, a sci-fi horror tinge to it. Um, but but it never it it and and as the movie continues to escalate for its uh, 100 minute runtime uh it just never ceases to not be funny while also 
remaining, the performances remain so serious and grounded at the same time. And um, it's just, uh, I think it's just such a wonderful tribute to what it's doing. Yeah, I agree with all that. And it's, it's, you mentioned all the genres it's playing in, which is a thing I really appreciate about the guest is, uh, yeah, it's doing so many things uh, with like the horror sci-fi bend to it. Uh, an action movie out of nowhere, kind of like, oh, it's an action movie. Uh, this time, the time on this rewatch, I felt like I was more um, kind of in tune with the little bits of comedy that are sprinkled in. Like, <laughs> I'm immediately thinking of the scene where Dan Stevens throws the two grenades into like that restaurant because the, the, the song that's playing and then the way he just kind of spins around and is smiling and chucks the grenades in and walks out. He does like a little dance or something <laughs> on the way out like this weird it was, it's a weird movie because it's like this fucking um you know kind of mix of so many different things and uh just has these weird little touches that i really appreciate and i was thinking this time i think i i just watched that scene earlier it's on youtube just the, the diner scene again like, oh man <laughs> dan stevens is great in this and um oh he's so good no he his performance makes the movie for sure and, and that scene um i'm glad you brought that scene up because <laughs> It's it's so unsettling whenever it first starts because when he walks in, he just immediately shoots uh, mm-hmm. the young woman who he slept with in a in 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 the previous moment in the movie, and then everyone's looking around like, dude, what in the world? And then you're thinking, I remember the first time I watched this, I was like, wait a minute, how is he going to just get away with this? And then he brings out those grenades. It's like, oh, he's gonna he's cleaning up the <laughs> he's cleaning up the uh, uh, the uh, the the rest of the the. Uh, uh, the uh, the the bystanders here so it, it's just yeah no that his look in that performance and just his smirk is just like dude even when you're committing this much crime and murder you're so likable <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing how likable he is even when he's like a complete uh sociopath <laughs> just, uh great casting because uh i remember you know i didn't know him i think for much if anything before this and uh same. I know a lot of people, uh, I think like my mom watched Downton Abbey. I don't know if you watched Downton Abbey, because um, he was on that show. Apparently. Yeah, no, I, I never did, but uh, it's something that my uh, a lot of my friends watch. Okay, yeah, it's I know it was very popular, but like I remember people, when this came out, they were like, wait, this guy, Dan Stevens and the guest, is the same Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey? Because apparently he plays like, I guess he was kind of chubbier, and I think kind of a goofball was the, I mean, he just was like not cool and like not like he was just kind of like a chubby goofy guy. And then he does this and he's like this kind of crazy psycho who's also like, uh, you know, also this really in shape military guy and like very different from whatever he was doing on Daphne Abbey from what I gather. I never watched the show, but it's like I remember seeing a, like a screenshot or something and I was like, oh, that is a crazy transformation um yeah yeah i don't know if I, you, I believe on the production yeah. they uh they called him downton abzi because like uh, <laughs> the scene where he takes his shirt shirt off in front of uh or the scene where he comes out of the shower um and michael moroge just stands there just like oh you're not my brother <laughs> <You know? laughs> which I think is, that was the moment where all of us were just like yeah this guy's gonna be a star <laughs> yeah it's a real star making moment I, there's so much imdb trivia about about him and his weight did you read this about his like weight loss play and the shower scene and like the shirtless uh-huh. scene like there's so much somebody must have really been into this because uh there i love imdb trivia because i'm like i don't know who writes half the stuff but yeah someone has this whole thing about um when they hired him it was like he'd lost a bunch of weight for another role. And the, uh, I think 
either Adam Wingard or Simon Barrett described him as looking like Christian Bale in The Machinist. Like he was that skinny. Oh, wow. And they were like, he looks <laughs> sick. Like he can't, he needs to be bulked up a little bit. So apparently <laughs> as soon as he could, they got him with like trainers and dietitians and they saved the, that one shirt. I think his only shirt was the one time. They saved that scene for the very last day of shooting. So he had wow. all the time he could to bulk up and get cut. And there's even a piece of trivia, um, which I kept in my back pocket in case I ever get cut and they need this, this tip. The tip was like, <laughs> so they're like, Dan, if you, <laughs> if you got to get really, to really show off the muscles, you need to be dehydrated. So for like a day or something, he drank he no water. <laughs> yeah. He drank like, no water. And I think he, they said like it was really chugged a diet Coke and then did like 50 pushups or sit-ups beforehand and then did the scene. And I don't, the diet Coke makes the veins pop or something. There was so much on the wow. IDP page. I'm like, I'm learning so much that I didn't know that I, you know, I wanted to know. So um, <laughs> very funny. I was curious how long would take to talk about uh, how like goddamn handsome Dan Stevens is. It's really unfair. Uh, so <laughs> No, I, I think I think all of us who are fans of this movie, like we all envy Dan Stevens on a, I mean, <laughs> on a certain yeah. level. Like, <laughs> and, I, and I really yeah. appreciate you know your trivia about that transformation because uh, I know when I saw this movie, I was like, this guy is like, or, or this character that he's playing, he's kind of like if if uh, if Captain America like felt like either very robotic or just so such a goody two shoes that you know something's up with them, which the movie you know, plays into immediately. Uh, I mean, from the moment you hear, you see him run in that opening uh, sequence, you know, it's just him, you know, breathing. And then the movie goes into the, that, that very A style title sequence. But even before that, um, I, um, I, the research I did, I, I found that Simon Barrett, cause uh, the production company Snoop Films, that logo was modeled after like the Canon, uh, the canon group uh from oh uh, yeah the yeah, yeah. <laughs> production so which i thought was was really really apt because because literally anytime i watch this movie it puts me in in that mood as if i'm gonna watch like 10 to midnight or something like that <laughs> uh yeah that man <laughs> now my 10 to midnight what a movie uh they it uh <laughs> the guest really does feel and i know a lot of movies were doing this in the 2010s but uh, it really it feels like it's really going for an 80s thing. And I feel like they genuinely love that stuff. Adam Wingard, Time Barrett. And they were really trying, like, this feels like a movie that, yeah, you would find, like, it's some action star in the 80s would have made. Maybe, like, a direct-to-video. Maybe it could be the 90s, too. A direct-to-video thing in the 90s where it's, like, some action movie about a, a it's a little bit like Universal Soldier, actually, the more I think about it that I'm saying out loud. Because, Honestly, yeah. Uh, wow. you know, it's, it's, you know, soldiers that they don't, see, I think I've, Sorry, I'm talking all the place. I think I've thought more about what happened to Dan Stevens than they explain. I think I've read more into it um, because I assumed he would. They were like a sol- like a soldier that died, and they kind of did some experiments on him. Um, or he might have not. He might have been injured. I don't know. Or we might have just taken him from the field and did experiments. Obviously, something has been altered in him <laughs> because that whole that company wants him back and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, if he's a dead soldier, they brought back and he's like a kind of a super soldier. It, it really is like universal soldier. <laughs> like, um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't, it's, it's, so it feels like an eighties, nineties kind of idea. Like you definitely could have seen this movie in the video video store. And, uh, but it has all these other weird, the things to it. Like you mentioned, like it has this kind of horror tinge, like it has like weird dark comedy beats, like it, um, 
it's a weird uh, thing that works like a weird like, I don't know how it all gels together um but I think it, it really mostly works actually <laughs> well I think I think the fact that you brought up Tarantino Rodriguez earlier that actually kind of uh I think you know because I, I I don't know if I mentioned this to you off mic but that kind of foreshadows a point I was going to make was that uh I think so the guest, I think the, the, it's Genesis comes from two things. I think the first thing is that eighties influence that you're talking about when a few years prior you had drive come out, uh, you know, uh, the Nicholas winding Refn, you know, modern classic. And that kind of brought, uh, it kind of repopularized the eighties synth aesthetic again, um, by, by kind of, uh, appropriating what Michael Mann was doing in the eighties and, um, uh, a lot of a lot of the the neo noir of, of that period and and making it you know make making it modern. Um, but also, I think the other half of it, which I think is interesting, is is Grindhouse. Um, and I'm not sure how you feel about Grindhouse. I'd be curious to know, since you're such a, a Tarantino Rodriguez fan. But I, I think because because uh, that's when I was was kind of coming of age as a movie fan when 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 Grindhouse came out. Like obviously, I was too young. <laughs> I'm probably too young to to see it, but I eventually caught it on Stars, and at the time I thought it was the coolest thing ever because I was because uh, I, I I had fallen in love with you know the Kill Bill uh, films and and that kind of thing, and and that was kind of my entry point into the Tarantino Rodriguez um, uh, aesthetic was like that Sin City Kill Bill era that they were where they were really they started getting really nostalgic and really esoteric with um their uh their filmmaking influences and um and what i noticed from from grindhouse the years later you started getting the, the machete movies which i think is a spinoff of planet terror and um <clears throat> a lot of like throwback exploitation kinds of movies and so here you have a film and, and here's what i love most about this movie is that here you have a film that's doing the 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 death proof grindhouse you know planet terror kind of thing uh but it's not doing so through the necessarily the the mistakes and the the language of an of an of an 80s thriller it's doing so through all of the conventions of an 80s thriller but it's doing so with it's tugging its cheek and and with a lot of heart and to where you can come to this movie without the necessarily the appreciation you know for that kind of thing and enjoy it as the the fun rocking ride that it is but if you do know a little bit about, you know, the Halloween movies, if you know a little bit about the Terminator films, um, the stepfather, that kind of thing, then you really can glomp onto the wild <laughs> sense of humor that is Wingard and Barrett and how um, really their influences are more in line with a lot of the stuff that I was familiar with as a movie fan. Like I, you know, I, I you know, I was, I was probably a little too old to really get, you know, 1970s exploitation and that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, the fact that they devised this movie as like the Halloween meets the Terminator um, with, while playing around with the fact that in the old Amblin movies, the kids were always smarter than the adults, which in this movie, that's definitely the case. <laughs> um, it's just such a blend of all those things. And uh, yeah. I'm, I can just gush about this movie, so I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet for a second. <laughs> that's okay. No, no, no. I love that. I just like people just gush about movies they love. Yeah, no, it's fine. Well, I will answer. The, I, I love Grindhouse. I'm glad you brought Grindhouse up. I do think Grindhouse started off this. It's funny because it wasn't that successful financially, but I feel like it kicked off yeah. this, this weird wave of like people trying to do a Grindhouse aesthetic and like 
a lot of people getting it wrong and uh mm-hmm. like there was a lot of knockoffs and like i probably a lot of them like straight to video or straight to streaming or whatever but uh yeah i mean they it's it's one of those things too like i think about the guests it's like i feel like tarantino and Rodriguez have real affection and knowledge of the things they were doing like for grindhouse i think and i think adam wingard and simon barrett have real affection for the things they were trying to kind of do or were influenced by for the guests i think you, oh yeah it feels false when somebody's just like i'm just gonna do this because the 80s are hot right now you know what i mean and i don't get that vibe from the guest at all i really feel like they just love things like the terminator um stepfather is a good call i didn't think about the stepfather that's a good call uh maybe universe soldier as i've now pointed out to myself <laughs> again, i'm thinking about that, that connection um see i wasn't thinking about that and now you pointed out and that's all i'm going to be thinking about for the rest of my life <laughs> anytime i watch this movie again i'm and, like oh, okay this should really star john claude van damme okay <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah and, and like the halloween thing like they're um i feel like they're they're taking things they're actually fans of and, and making this movie like I, you know, you, I think you can tell when somebody just does it because it's like, that's the hot thing. And it was the hot thing because like drive, I think is the good point, the thing to point to, because I think it, it, uh, I was thinking of drive a lot watching the guests this time, the soundtrack especially feels very like, could be like a, a brother cousin to drive, <laughs> you know, it's like. Well, it's came out the same year as Nightcrawler also, which kind of does that A's aesthetic too. Um, not, not in a kitschy way. Uh, Cause Nightcrawler is more of a, is, is. Nightcrawler is about something as opposed to like a uh, kind of exploitation throwbacks like we're, you know, the other movies that we're talking about, but it kind of does that as well. Yeah, no, I could see that. I could see that. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, there was definitely this thing in the 2010s, like people were really <laughs> going nuts for the 80s. Again, I felt like um, they were using synth scores. They were taking like John Carpenter font for their titles. Uh, I think yeah. like, I love House of the Devil, but like that opening, um, I think if uh, it's very John Carpenter font, if I remember. And uh, like, yeah, I mean, that's, I think I'm okay with that kind of stuff. People, when I know people are like genuine fans of it and they kind of know what they're kind of paying homage to. I think we just got uh, thrown so much of it in the past like decade that people got sick of it. And like, yeah, um, yeah. There was I'm, a thing for a while, yeah. stop making 80s movies. And, and, right. and <laughs> but it's, it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to, to 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 get on that train when i see movies like Thor ragnarok do it <laughs> just just do it and people like taika watiti who again much like wingard and barrett i feel like that movie kind of understands uh 80s like space opera kind of thing even though that's the third movie in a series and it's a temple it's kind of like oh this is what this is kind of what this should have been all along wow i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know it's uh um it's interesting. Like I, you know, I watch, I, I watch the guests now and like, um, I think we're far enough removed from all the 80s stuff that, uh, <laughs> that I think it's, it's, I, I never had a problem with it. Honestly, this, this movie in particular. And like, I think like the score is great. I'm actually a real sucker for like an 80s synth score. Like I, I that's kind of my jam. Like I, um, I'm kind of down for that in almost anything. And, uh, I don't think I was nearly as sick as like most people of the 80s stuff but uh i get i get where they were coming from because there was a lot of it but uh um yeah the guest i mean but it has like it's it's, it's doing its own thing well, the, like yeah the music too um um also like the thing i found out today uh when i was like kind of when i was taking some notes uh so um there's a there's a band called survive that's that's based in austin 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a couple of tracks on the soundtrack. In fact, one of the one of they they honestly did one of my favorite tracks uh, in this movie, where um, it's when Michael Moreau she finally like overhears a phone call that David has, and she starts going into you know she starts looking at her laptop and making phone calls, and that and she really is the first person to break through to David's facade, mm-hmm. and um and and that song that's playing in the background is from this band. And uh, the Duffer Brothers, the creators of Stranger Things, oh, uh-huh. tapped that band to score Stranger Things. So, uh, oh, well, that makes uh, sense. Yeah, <laughs> it's all yeah. coming together. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know that that is my part of it too. I forgot about like Stranger Things kind of coming out later in the 2010s, and that really like I feel like that's uh, like the quintessence of that 2010s 80s Renaissance that you're talking about, right? Yeah, and then like it comes out there's just a lot of like yeah. there's a lot of 80s stuff and it's like yeah i kind of forgot about those things too and it's like people are like eh, i mean i'm like let's move back to the 90s now let's get back i want to throw some pogs in there and uh you know <laughs> drink some surge and it was you know, again i feel bad you haven't heard this yet it's not out yet but me and he talked about uh hackers and like there's a lot of 90s nostalgia on that one <laughs> like, um i feel like i don't know about you i feel like for it's easier to take nostalgia when you weren't you didn't live through it because to you it's not mm. i don't know to me not like it's not nostalgia but it's like i don't know if you weren't there the first time it's like it's easier to take i don't know that's i the 80s doesn't bother me because i was born so late in the 80s i don't you know i, I can't remember any of it obviously so it's like it, right. to me it's like 80s i'm like well i don't really remember this and like um you know so i feel like maybe it bothers people less if they didn't live through that nostalgia i may be just i'm spitballing i have no idea but um you're younger no, than I, me so i don't know if you like <laughs> watch 90s stuff and you're like yeah, this is fine <laughs> like, no i think that's interesting that you make that point i i think hmm I, I never really thought about that before but i do think that it's very easy to fall in love with it's very easy to to fall so in love with something in fact i wrote about this recently on letterboxd um uh, I, I don't want to say what movie it was because it's a movie I didn't care for, and I don't want Twitter to to just oh. uh, just <laughs> I don't yeah. want Twitter to dog follow me just yet um, uh, today. But um, it, uh, basically, I, I wrote that every filmmaker, every great filmmaker, makes their their fetish movie, and there's probably a better phrasing for it. But uh, what I mean by that is like you know Steven Spielberg, you know he made Raiders of the Lost Ark from the the serials that that he grew up with, and you know, Tarantino Rodriguez, you know, they're kind of a big bunch, a, a big bulk of their career is, is, is nostalgia. And um, I mean, Peter Jackson's King Kong, like he pretty much took a 90 minute monster movie and made a three hour for better or worse uh, remake of that uh, with, with the effects, the effects work that he perfected, you know, doing the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And, and, and I think it's a very hit and miss thing uh, because when I was citing that phenomenon, I was definitely talking about uh, a filmmaker making a certain movie that I didn't care for. And, um, and I think that plays into your point a little bit where, um, yeah, I think it's, it's very easy for uh, someone like, goodness, um, someone like, the, someone like uh, an Adam Wingard to make a movie like Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, which I personally love. I, I, I had a, had like a blast with that movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, had a, I had a such a blast with it uh, because he was drawing an influence from the kind of the the 60, late 60s, you know, 70s Godzilla movies that just got crazy and 
you don't care about the humans for better or worse. <laughs> um, and it just, it just, it went for lack of a better word, ape shit. And, and I loved it for that. And, uh, but I think if you, if you were to come directly from that era and you, and you wanted to make that type of kaiju movie, it would be, um, it, it would be the, the snap crackle pops and stuff that a lot of people were copying from Grindhouse for a while. Um, and, and reveling more in the, in the, in the the cheapness of that stuff without you know they basically they want the they want the look but they don't capture the feel and that i think that's our that's kind of both both you and i's problem with that stuff yeah yeah that's it's it's trying to copy the aesthetic with nothing behind it you know what i mean (laughs) like it's trying to um you have no love behind it you have no like you know you're just doing it to do it and uh actually glad you brought up uh spielberg doing indiana jones because i mean i i wasn't around when this came out but I don't think any of us, like now people give these movies shit in the 2010s. Like, oh, they're all trying to copy John Carpenter or other 80s movies. Blah, blah, blah. But it's like, was anyone giving Spielberg shit for copying 40s and 50s serials? You know, it's like, and now we really don't care because we weren't around <laughs> for them. We don't remember. Yeah. So it's like, you know, we weren't even there for the thing in the first place. It, it doesn't seem to bother anybody that he just kind of did his own version of in 46 serials and it's like of course they're great movies Indiana Jones movies but I just think it's funny that if like we don't remember them specifically I just wonder if like older critics were like oh this Indiana Jones just these these 40 50 serials <laughs> <You know, laughs> it's so derivative doing, doing those again it's so derivative yeah it's just um I don't know it's fascinating I don't know we're kind of on like a tangent here but I I, I thought it was interesting <laughs> no I thought that um because I don't I haven't really seen anyone level that charge against like the guest specifically I think the guest is very well liked in guess a great example we're talking i think before we start recording of like a movie that i feel like everyone's familiar with but i think that's only in like movie circles like film circles because i think if you ask people on the street have you heard of the guest and show them the poster they may have been like i passed on netflix one night i don't know but i don't think it may i mean i don't it's weird i feel like if i tell anybody on twitter the guest like oh i fucking love the guest the guest is great but I feel like if I ask anybody at my like work or anyone, no one will know what I'm talking about. It's this weird divide of like, you know, um, this the, you know it made no money because I we kind of mentioned that earlier. Like you were like, oh, yeah. I didn't see, I didn't see it in uh, you know till like video or whatever. I don't well, think made, anybody did. <laughs> like, well, it, it made below its very low budget. Like it was, it's a five million dollar movie um, that looks like it could be a thirty million dollar uh, mid budget action movie. And yet, it, it um, I think according to uh, Box Office Mojo, it, it made it barely made like above like two and a half million at the box office. So it, it was not a theatrical success. And um, I think to your point, where the movie's well loved in the the cult community, I think I think it really speaks to the strength of of horror fandom and action fandom that this movie yeah, is so yeah. beloved uh, and has become a bit of a cult favorite, especially around you know the Halloween time. Um, you know, like, I, I think that that's, that's really cool. This movie's had, it's having that kind of staying power and I hope it remains that way. But I know, I mean, this movie, I pimped it so hard for people that, uh, <laughs> I really like, I'm like, gosh, you need to watch the guests, but it's very much a movie where I had to pitch it like, okay, it's a thriller, but it's not the type of, it's not a straightforward one, like, oh, but it is, but it's also funny, but it's not a comedy. It's, it's very hard to describe to people. And yeah. I think it's, yeah. Much like your next, like, I think your next, um, I've seen divide people where, um, people who, um, are, are a little more than casual moviegoers really love your next. And, 
and other people kind of dismissed it as, you know, just another Blumhouse, you know, horror film. And I, I think, I want to say it came out around the same time as Sinister, um, uh, I believe. And uh, It's about a year or two. It's a, like before or after. I think it's like 2011. I think Sinister is 2010 or 2012. Okay, yeah, you're right. Really because, close, yeah. Yeah, because your next was actually filmed around the same time as Sinister. Um, um, and actually, I believe they actually shelved your next for a while because they because the, yeah. the studio <laughs> didn't quite know what to make of it. Because, I mean, I mean, of course, there's that amazing kill with the blender, which I'll never forget um, <laughs> at all. <laughs> and your next, that, that kill is amazing. Um, and, uh, and, and the movie brought Barbara, uh, Barbara Crampton, you know, out of, uh, out of, uh, out of a kind of an acting hiatus for a bit in a really funny role. And, and that movie is such a tribute to horror, but, but if you're, if you're, if you're not familiar with those little quirks that Adam and Wingard, uh, at goodness, Adam and Wingard, it's late, uh, <laughs> Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett do, then, then it's very easy to miss the kind of the, the genius that they're, that they're playing around with. And, and, and that's the thing about, about them as a team. And, and I know, and sorry to get, if I'm getting off any points that you made, but um, with them as a team, I'm not sure how you feel about their filmography overall, but even, uh, even the movies of theirs that I either haven't seen or, or that I wasn't super thrilled with, I'm still going to be in their corner because of how strong, you know, their career began. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of where I'm at with them is that I, I still think even on their off days that they're interesting. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought them up as kind of this writing directing duo because i was going to ask you the same question of what you thought of them overall um i really love your next like your next really surprised me when i first saw it um i was late to it because i it, like the guest i don't think anyone saw it in a theater uh hardly because like yeah um, and it came out it hit streaming or dvd or something and uh, like it looked like a stranger sequel almost or like uh yeah another then, one of those home invasion movies that <laughs> yeah i was like is this gonna be like high tension is it like the strangers like what is this and uh um it, it again subverted expectations it was like uh didn't know i but i love the i guess the kind of twist it takes halfway and i'm like oh i didn't see this was going at all <laughs> um yeah and yeah, I, I, and I even, listen, I, not completely, but I do kind of like their Blair Witch. Have you seen their Blair Witch movie? I haven't. And I was going to ask you about that because uh, I was putting it off for a while because uh, when I was in college and it came out, I was at kind of my peak snobbery. Um, uh -huh. where my nose was touching the ceiling and that's I, I everyone just... in college that's okay <laughs> i talk about that you know like that 18 to 22 period i feel like if you're a film person i feel like a lot of people go through the the snobby film period it's like you just have to do it and you grow and you get past it and you move on <laughs> there you are. yeah well well and, and which is ironic because like back when blair witch came out i already loved your next and the guest and and uh you know, some of my friends at the time, they're like, Preston, like, you got, you know, go see Blair Witch. And I'm like, guys, I, I, I hate found footage movies. I'm one of those. <laughs> I just, I cannot get into them. I just, I, I like the paranormal activity thing. I never got. Um, so I just assumed that Blair Witch wouldn't be for me, but I've seen uh, recently reappraisals of it um, that are like, hey, it, it's not going to reinvent the wheel if you don't like this kind of thing. But there I, i've heard i've been told that um there's things that wingard and barrett do creatively with the premise of blair witch that makes it interesting i i thought so i mean it's 
kind of the same issue that I have with the first Blair Witch, though. And I'm not the biggest fan of the Blair Witch Project. Like, I will say that. And Neither I hope that's going to be hate. It's like, I think the ending is incredible. I've never, it's never left my mind. I think the ending is like the best. But there's so much that precedes that ending that I don't give a shit about. Like, there's some creepy moments peppered in, obviously. But there's so much general... <laughs> like walking around and it's a lot of people saying fuck in the forest over and over again <laughs> general and... milling around and yeah. throwing and throwing maps and yelling at each other like so but i think the ending lands like crazy i think they do some kind of more creative things in blair in the in wingard blair witch that i find interesting i think the ending is really fucking scary like i think again it's like this i won't say what happens but like the last 15-ish minutes is like I remember being in the theater and I saw it in a completely empty theater which made it so much scarier because it's this big empty you know black hole basically <laughs> and uh <laughs> seeing that finale on the like by, big screen basically by myself was terrifying like and uh I, don't, I haven't really I can't remember if I rewatched it or not but um it's one of those things where I almost don't want to because I'm like it won't be as scary or good as the first time but I I like it I'm surprised everyone hated it as much as they do because I I think it's actually pretty good. <laughs> so yeah, I recommend well, it. Well, judging by how you, uh, and I do have that on my list now. So thank you for that. Uh, well, judging by how you, you know, you received this movie and your next and Godzilla versus Kong, I think you and I are kind of on the same wavelength as far as these guys go. So okay, <laughs> I will, yeah, yeah. I'll go into this with an open mind um, because again, you not being a fan of Blair Witch, but you at least appreciate this new one or the most recent one, like that gives me hope because I, I've, I've never been <laughs> yeah. a fan of it, but I'm a, a, a fan of these guys. Yeah, and I've always, I, the first Blair Witch, the Blair Witch product, I always feel like I just appreciate the cultural impact more and like the phenomenon and all that stuff than the movie itself. Like in the movie itself, I feel like if people sit down and watch it, it's like, it's like, is it that fun? I, I have no fun watching the Blair Witch Project, like, but I appreciate all the stuff around it. And this one, I just think, you know, it's just a fun, it's a, a scary horror movie i don't get scared by horror movies a lot but that one fucked me up um i like their vhs <laughs> stuff i like um i can't remember exactly what segments they did off the top of my head but uh um tape 56 oh i'm looking at the vhs um indv pages i'm trying to remember exactly which ones were were there so they worked on but uh um, yeah it's been a because i saw those before i saw uh your next and uh and uh i, I believe i want to say it was either them or Radio Silence. They did the the, the first segment on VHS two, um, uh, and then I, I'm yeah. I need I need to actually look that up. Uh, I the only to be honest, the only real thing I remember from VHS two was uh, the Gareth Evans segment. That that's oh amazing. It's um, amazing. Yeah, it's, like, <laughs> it, it's I feel bad. VHS two I think is good overall, but that segment is so good by itself that it kind of like blows everything else out of the water i feel like. <laughs> sadly like, yeah yeah and, and i'm glad I, I caught your next after the fact so it's just like yeah but no no the yeah no their their vhs work is interesting for sure yeah so i mean overall i like them as a team i mean uh would you say the guest is your favorite the favorite thing they've done it, it is and, yeah. and that and it, it kind of and I, I don't know if that's to my detriment as a movie watcher because the guest is so my type of thing but it's also the movie where i feel like it's their skills refined um right yeah at yeah. their most refined <laughs> like i think obviously they've gone on to do um blockbusters or or stuff that's more ip like blair witch and and um uh warner brothers monsterverse stuff and um 
And, uh, and of course, uh, Adam Wingard's uh, doing the sequel to Face Off right now, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but oh God, uh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, in fact, there's a scene. Yeah. There's a scene in this movie that reminds me of Face Off. But but to answer your first question, I think that the guest is their most accessible film uh, because it's it's them at their most fun. It's them. As much as I really dig your next, I, I felt like the guest blends all those influences together uh, in a way that really does feel like its own thing, where I'm almost not exactly thinking about the milieu in which it was released, you know, the, the, the way its influences influenced it and vice versa. And it, I feel like it really is its own great little film, um, mainly because of, of, of how it, uh, its command of the very small budget and, and the performances. I think the performances really, really do sell uh, this movie as its own thing. I mean, um, uh, I mean, this movie has freaking Lance Reddick. I mean, can we can we talk about that? The head of the the head of the corporation, oh, hunting, yeah. <laughs> hunting David. I mean, and, and this was kind of his kind of a kind of a uh, this kind of began a resurgence for him. I think where because um, this is the same year where he was in John Wick, right. and so, so everyone manager. kind of fell yeah. in love with him again. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of forgot he was in this this time when I watched. I was like, oh, yeah, he's the guy. Yeah, right. I was like, I just kind of blanked. I was like, oh, yeah, it's him. He's been in so much stuff since The Guest. You know, it's like, um, yeah. yeah, it's pretty crazy. I, uh, it's a it's a pretty talented cast. Like, um, Leland Orser just playing, like, the dad. Like, the fun, <laughs> like, the sad, the sad dad. He's got money problems. And just, uh, he's he drinks kind of, in like, every scene. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he is in every scene. Um, you know, he's a guy I... He pops up and stuff and he's like kind of like this weird unique actor i don't know he just like you kind of know somebody comes on um i always think of him in seven that's a really but that's like a, oh yeah that's uh, such a he made me do it oh yeah <laughs> fucked up thing to remember him by but it's, uh, yeah i mean yeah he's always interesting um the, you know what i was saying about this time was micah monroe i think it's, it's micah right yeah like um yeah. And I was like, what happened to, because she was in this and it follows. it follows the same year, which is a damn good year. And then she seems like she kind of gets like her big budget shots. Cause she's in that fifth wave movie, which bomb and she's in the independence day sequel. Yeah. Which I, which the, <laughs> what, what the weird thing about that casting yeah. was, was that, uh, like, because uh, I remember uh, before, before, <laughs> goodness, because I actually saw Resurgence in the theater, LOL. I did um, too. <laughs> <laughs> and Not a fun time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> for, all it's the, Sorry. for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's just it. Like, uh, and yet, you know, she's cast as Bill Pullman's daughter all grown up, but yet, you know, Mae Whitman plays the same character in, in the first Independence Day. And it's weird because Mae Whitman with the Duff and a few other movies kind of had, it was like, she was, she was also poised to be like this big kind of actress, but, but they, I guess because Michael Moreau, like they wanted like, I guess more of a love interest type of, of actress as bad as that is to say, even though I don't like believe that about uh, my, uh, at the expense of Mae Whitman. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, they, they cast her and uh, yeah, it was like those, that it was like those, those few big budget shots. It's like, I don't know if she's like just not into the industry after the reception of those movies or what, but it's uh it sucks because she's really great and it follows. And I think she's wonderful here. I mean, in fact, I think 
as much as Dan Stevens in a lot of ways makes this movie as memorable as it is, and it's very much his kind of breakout performance. I mean, it was a breakout for her as well, because as much as he's mixing, his character is very much, you know, a cross between Steve Rogers. If, if Steve Rogers was, uh, had a little bit of the T-800 in him. Um, <laughs> uh, Michael Monroe was really grounding the crazy sci-fi military slasher uh, vibes of this thing in a very down-earth performance. Um, in fact, I mean, that's where the music comes in is through her relationship to kind of this 80s-style goth and industrial music uh, through all the, the albums that she's, all the mixes that she's making for herself. And then that's how she connects with David because she's the last one of the family to really like David. Yeah, and to then, trust him finally, yeah. And then she's also the first one to really, again, see through his facade. And, mm-hmm. and that's when she goes into full investigator mode. Because uh, I do think, because we keep gushing about the, the movie and stuff, I do think the one, the one thing that I think kind of doesn't work for me about this movie is that I wish there were more scenes between her and her brother. Um, on this oh, yeah. rewatch, it was like, I... I love how I love everything about this movie. I love just how disaffected she is um, um, with her family, but the fact that she kind of remains home um, when she should really be in college, in my opinion. Right. <laughs> um, but but you know the dad's a drunk and or the dad drinks a lot and the mom is still grieving you know um, her brother's loss and that kind of thing. And you know her her younger brother is very awkward and that kind of thing and 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 which that actor and the writing for that actor, they nailed that perfectly. That 80s kind of high school teen angst that makes him the perfect kind of foiled uh, for him to bond with David um, uh, throughout the film and, and, and almost see him as a big brother. Everything about that works. I just wish that there were more, a couple of more moments between Michael Monroe and, and the brother because it's not until... Um, David kind of goes, he goes full T-800 um, right. <laughs> in the third act that you- Starts that, killing everybody. Yeah, it's like- <laughs> Yeah, that you really start, um, that you really see more interaction and she really takes charge and becomes more of that sister figure to her brother. And, and I think um, everything from, from that third act on, that twist with them really, really works. But I, I just wish there were a few more moments. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. But they really don't have much like time to- bond them i mean it's it's a tight movie it's an hour 40 like and i know true true they they cut stuff but that's a good point because at the end it's kind of hinges on like you know her going to save him and trying to get him out of there and you know calling it's like they don't have a lot of time together before that i i yeah i don't think it hurts the movie necessarily but it's a good point like just just a quick scene or two of them like bonding a little more or something or um just them together really um Oh, really quick. I do want to say, I felt, I don't want to discredit Micah Moreau because she's been in stuff, but it's like, I feel like those couple years were like her really big budget shot because she was in like Honey Boy with um, Shia LaBeouf, which I heard was good. Oh, she was in that. Yeah, yeah. A movie yeah. called Villains, which I heard was good with her and Bill Skarsgård. I haven't seen it, but I heard it was good. Um, so it's like just kind of smaller stuff. And I think like, you know, kind of back to horror, but I kind of felt bad. I was like, I don't want, she's been working, but it's like, I kind of, I was like, you should be a bigger deal, I feel like, because, uh, I think you have like star potential and like she got her shots and like big budget stuff, but it's, you know, it's kind of like, Oh, but um, I think she, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think she might need the right uh, movie to, to use her. Um, Cause there's a, um, 
for two reasons. I think, I think for one, I think she's one of those actresses. She strikes me more like a Samara Weaving type, where I think Samara Weaving, um, Samara Weaving, I think, is a little bigger than Mike Moreau now. I think that's safe for us to say. Um, but Samara Weaving very much likes to, she's spoken about this before, actually, where she likes to, she likes to be in horror movies. She likes to be in, in very small productions where the creative team can be, can be allowed to do their crazy, their crazy shit without a lot of intervention. Mm-hmm. And I think she really flourishes in, in that. Um, and I kind of get that vibe from Michael Moreau because yeah, like just thinking about her and Honey Boy, um, she, she, she does, again, it's another kind of, uh, it's more of an unsung performance that she does, uh, but, but it's, a, it's a very good uh, performance from her. And, and that's very much, a, I mean, it's an Amazon movie that um, is a drama and a very discordant one. Uh, not all of it necessarily worked for me, but a lot of it did. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I see her as, as a Samara Weaving type, um, to your point. Uh, yeah, I, I love Samara Weaving, so I'm, I'm <laughs> appreciate the comparison. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's um, it's just interesting because like you see somebody like that, you're like, they should pop, they should be a star. And you look at their IMDb, and it's like, huh, not quite there, and that kind of bums me out sometimes. And um, it's I, it's kind of tougher. For, I feel like for the actresses, they have this like kind of smaller window where Hollywood's really into them, and it's like because uh, yeah. Hollywood's very superficial, and uh, as we know, and like. You know, it's like I feel like with especially with women, for some reason, they're like they'll they'll be into them for like a, a couple years and be like, okay, we're on to the next like girl. But like, it happens with guys too. I'm not saying, but it, it's it kind of like they give them this like tight window to work in. It's like if you don't really hit right away, you're kind of like we're on to the next one. You know, so um, and they're pigeonholed in, in mom or aunt roles after right that, if, if, they, if they do thing. survive. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did I, uh, something we kind of touched on just a few minutes ago. Uh, did you read about how this movie? Because I said it was like a tight hour forty it was supposed to be like at least twenty minutes longer, and they cut a bunch of it. Oh no! Yeah, no, okay. I didn't oh, know this. <laughs> yeah, I found this very interesting because I was kind of again admiring like this movie's very lean. It doesn't waste time explaining a bunch of shit. It's no like, fat. It just, no, no fat at all. And and there was a cut that was about two hours long, so about twenty minutes longer. Um, that Wingard and Barrett had kind of finished, and and it was test screened, and it had a lot more stuff about exactly what happened uh to david dan stevens and how it happened it was all very like a bunch of explanation like it was just apparently a bunch of explanation what went on and uh and this shocked me because i feel like usually casual audiences or any audience it wants more explanation not less the the test audience even said this is too much this is too much explanation <laughs> and wow. wingard and barrett were like thank god because they didn't want it either i think they thought the studio wanted that um yeah but then they got to cut it all out. So you think that seeing the car near the end with uh, Micah Monroe and Lance Reddick, he's really going to give her like a bunch of information, but he basically just says like David was part of the special program, right? He killed people and got out. Is that basically like, he that's literally what he says. He's like, uh, yeah, David, David was a military experiment. Blah, 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 blah. He left. Uh, we got to get him back. All right. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, I kind of appreciate in my mind. I, I do too. Yeah. And this is, I, I feel like usually I'm not like this, but I almost, I do want like, just like a little more. I feel like I don't want like full, maybe just like some flashes or some, gl- or some quick throwaway lines about something, what happened to him exactly. Um, I can't believe well, I'm saying he's this. such a. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a testament to his performance, to be honest. Like, and I don't want to keep just, you know, blame because Dan Stevens. I don't want that to be my answer for everything. But it, it, well, the Fair. thing is that yeah. character is so cool, 
honestly, and even when he's doing bad stuff, like when he kills um, uh, the mom character, like he has this look like, ah, like I didn't want to do that, but I also have to not say anything remote because I'm, I, I've got to, I've got to do my thing. And, and of course, you know, like he, you know, when, before he sees Leland Orser for the last time driving up on his way out and he, he, he literally has look like, like, damn, like I, I, I know what I have to do. And, and, you know, that's where our heart breaks is when, you know, he, he literally shoots Leland Orser point blank uh, without much, you know, emotion yeah on his part like he doesn't give he literally doesn't give the dad a chance to to emote like that and um it's it's just it's a that character is so mysterious that i honestly think giving more explanation would ruin the mystique of it and and that's something that i've i've actually heard that that's the one complaint i usually hear about this movie from people if they have complaints is uh is that the the movie lacks an explanation or the the explanation is or the the twist is unsatisfying Ah, i I, to me, that adds to the to the eightiesness of it is the fact that okay, we don't exactly know what this guy can do, so he comes back at, at the end of the movie from his supposed death. It, it's just like okay, of course this guy can do this because we don't know what what he what he's capable of, you know. Yeah, oh, glad you mentioned the very end because I forgot how much I love the ending with. Uh, I mean, I think we've way too past. We, spoilers, we're way past that point, but <laughs> the very the very end, the last thing. Uh, when you know they're out of like the school and they think they've killed him and he walks out in that um uh, just as a firefighter michael Monroe sees him and just says it's just what the fuck right am i <laughs> yeah what the fuck what and the it goes fuck? to the... and it goes to the credits <laughs> great perfect ending uh because yeah we're all like what the fuck because i mean he they really fuck him up like he should be dead and we didn't know that you know it's like oh okay so he's got he's really something because they stabbed him like in the heart i thought and he get, and he's back from that so it's like oh shit what can this guy do you know it's like um yeah i don't know it's you're right the more would ruin it the mystique is good but for some reason i i just wanted like a couple more little things sprinkled in i don't know why i'm not usually like that i feel like i'm like that's fine on explanation but i'm like i think i'm so interested in his character and his backstory that i just want a little more but no you're no, right i think it that's was... fair i think i think that's totally fair because <laughs> um, i get i mean at the end he just like i guess something is programming or whatever is like don't leave a trail of anyone who would know you right because he just has goes on this kill this killing spree like at poor like the girl you said he slept with he just shoots her point blank in the restaurant um and then blows the restaurant up uh because at that point i think it's just like anyone that saw me i just you i'm not leaving anything behind um well in that weird remorse uh inkling that he has for uh uh, the, the children's mother like he has that even for Lance Reddick a little bit where he literally <laughs> it's it's I love how macabre and how like darkly funny the scene is where like after he stabs him in that amazing kind of like Janice double shot uh, where, where, where he has the bloody knife after the fact um, um, and you see Lance Reddick stumble and and he finally dies and his eyes are just open you know um as he's passed on and then david whispers to his body just like what do you think was going to happen um and then he just leaves <laughs> it's just such a it's just such a it's such a dark macabre moment of humor um in the middle of this like crazy almost man with the golden gun type of like climax at the at the at the school and it's 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 really well done uh, again i think that's really where you see uh, that's really where that $5 million becomes a, a $30 million, you know, uh, 
kind of mid-budget action film is that that climax is like after all these explosions and whatnot that again like i'm just like how did y'all afford to do all that with that much that much panache and then you get into that climax and it's nothing but panache all these reds and blues and different colors and and it's like they go nuts in the best way with uh, the way that those those kills and 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 the way that tension is framed Yes, I'm. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, and I'm so glad we're kind of talking about, especially that ending in the school, because I know that's like, I think what film Twitter goes really crazy over. <laughs> it's like, <Yeah. laughs> is how good that that uh, that ending looks, that whole climax in the school with the the Halloween haunted house thing. I, I almost call it a dance. I don't think it is, but it's like the you know the whole thing. And I like that it's it looks great, but it is within the realm of possibility that high schoolers could pull that off like it's a little better than i would expect but it's not like uh you know they it's like a it's not like a six flags at halloween or anything it's like it's it's reasonable <laughs> it's like you guys did a great job but, but this is attainable um but What's no, the, I, well yeah. i think it makes sense because uh because like uh there's that bit where uh michael moreau and her brother are like are going through like one of the crevices of the of the uh kind of the haunted house uh pop up and something bumps like literally bumps like is like coming through a wall and they're just like oh is that him and it's like no that's just that just was, <laughs> was some some dumb kid built and you couldn't have that in any other setting I, I don't think yeah oh that's true that's true I mean they make great use of that setting for the climax it's a great like it's a great creative idea to be like what do we put the setting in a Halloween uh haunted house thing at a school like and make it this kind of house of horrors and uh, it looks great. The lighting, like you said, I love the score during that. I mean, like, I just, yeah, that ending is, is so good. Um, I, and about the whole, the budget. Yeah. $5 million. The movie, like, I don't know how expensive it looks, but it looks like it costs more than $5 million. Yeah. <laughs> like, and yeah. I think there must have been people at studios, like big studios who saw this. Cause I know this is kind of a, um, we brought up Robert Rodriguez a couple of times, but I know this is like a thing they put with him where it's like, when he made El Mariachi for like $7,000, everybody was like, how did you, it looks like it cost so much more than that. And he made yeah. Desperado for, I believe like five to 7 million. And everyone's like, this movie looks like it costs 20, 25 million. He's very good at like taking smaller budget and making it look like it's more than it is. And I think Adam Wingard definitely does that kind of thing in the guest. Like, um, I mean, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know, like maybe 15, 20. I don't know. It looks way more to me than five. Like, I think like he makes great use of $5 million. And uh, it looks um, better than like blockbusters we get nowadays, you know, like un unless someone, unless it's like Dune or something like that, it's like, <laughs> man, like what, what kind of, uh, again, another thing I appreciate about Godzilla versus Kong was like, it was a, it was an effects heavy blockbuster that honestly didn't look like ass. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean uh and there's uh, yeah there's definitely parts of this and there's shots that i love and think they look great i'm like wow he really pulled this off with not i mean five million dollars is not like uh, you know it's it's good it's not but for you know a movie like this we're trying to we're trying to do action and all this other stuff it's not a lot to work with necessarily um i do feel like mild criticism coming it's like i feel like sure. the the when they attack the house and all the mercenary guys attack the house i I think that looks a little, the way it's shot, is like a little flat looking to me. Um, and that, the part where it's like, I don't think it looks bad. I just think it looks like, I don't know. The rest of it looks so good for the most part. And mm. it just, you know, lighting outside, who knows what they had to work with. There's all these things they could have been up against. But um, I was watching this time and thinking like, this doesn't look 
great to me, but I don't think it's, it's just like a thing I know. Like and I thought also, these are the worst fucking mercenaries he could have brought. Poor <laughs> like, or, or Dan or David's that amazing, but I'm like, these guys get wiped out and they do some really stupid stuff. Like, let me just fucking creep into the house, like through the window and like, it's you know just blow the house up what are you doing they, <laughs> like, they are pretty much like uh it's like lance reddick's like we we cannot we cannot let anyone uh, know we're about this and then he sends stormtroopers yeah basically uh, <laughs> it's like cannon fodder these guys it's like i got the, i gotta get the best of the best mercenaries and they get fucked up and I, again it could just be them saying david's that badass but they do some stupid stuff like there's the guy that walks in uh comes to the window and i feel like he has no caution about him and gets like shot i think in the foot first and then he falls down and gets shot in the head. And then doesn't um, someone get stabbed? I'm trying to remember. Um, I, I just believe. saw it. I just I saw it again last the night. It happens just so like... fast, though. That it's hard to remember exactly who did what. But yeah, I you know it's uh, it's just funny. I was thinking like, I can't now. Oh God, I'm, it's getting late. And I'm blinking. But did, did Lance Reddick? <laughs> did he? Was it a, a dead or alive situation, or did he only want to bring him in alive, or was he okay with killing him? I can't. I'm blanking right now. <laughs> I believe. I believe he he wants to bring him in. Okay. Uh, okay. But so like, that. Yeah. And and so whenever like he sees him driving off after the mom is killed, that's when he's just like fuck, you know. It's the only time I've heard Lance Reddick ever say that, just because I haven't seen the wire, so I don't know if he. Oh yeah, there. I haven't either. I don't. Know. <laughs> but, yeah, but um, but but yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it's it's. I'm just anytime I see that that scene, it's just like, dude, yeah, you you knew you you knew what you had, dude. Like why'd you? You, you could have sent better better people to, to take him out but I, I see where you're coming from with the, i guess the flatness of that i guess the like it's great action but the it's shot very flat versus something like desperado where um rodriguez is kind of riffing on john Wu, and he's doing it i think very well especially for the budget um so yeah well, yeah I, with I can, his own spin on it too i feel like rodriguez took Wu stuff but put his own like kind of special like his own flavor on it basically you know his like own, his own special sauce yeah his own special <laughs> sauce on that and uh yeah i mean the, i think the action stuff is like the beats are fine um it happens very quick too i just i was kind of i don't know why i think i see this is the problem too when you're in a podcast i feel like sometimes you almost look at things differently like you're not i need things to talk about and I, this was kind of like making like this is a very minor complaint let me say that it's just kind of i was thinking like sure does this look a little flatter than the rest of this and it's like I mean that stuff at the end. I think it looks so good in the the haunted house, and um, yeah, I mean it's just they're probably saving yeah. a lot of the the visual panache for 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 the <laughs> end. I think, um, and probably some moments um, in in the first act of the movie. I mean, you yeah yeah you you just talked about like we already addressed like how they uh, how how the shirtless scene, which is kind of <laughs> iconic now amongst you know the, this movie's fans, like how that was shot very last and. There's a lot of great, um, uh, I mean, the, the scene, I'm surprised we didn't bring this up yet. The scene where um, uh, Michael Monroe drives David to the party with her boyfriend and um, that whole like kind of like uh, house party bit, like that looks uh, so good. Um, oh, yeah. and, the, and that quick little, little scene where he takes out, I mean, the whole reason he sleeps with that with her friend is because he like incapacitates those guys who are, you know, kind of terrorizing her. And, and that's when he meets, uh, I think it's Joel David Moore. Uh, yes. From, yeah, from, yeah. Uh, from Avatar. And 
I always think uh, dodgeball, but that's <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> you went Avatar, I went dodgeball. Way should go with Joel David Moore. Uh, that... <laughs> to be um, fair, I have seen dodgeball more times, so that's <laughs> I forgot he was in. I forgot he was in Avatar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, he pops up as. Uh, um, oh, sorry, you just reminded me that Ethan Embry pops up for like. I think less than five minutes. It's yeah. a glorified cameo and then is murdered almost immediately. <laughs> like he's him like, and David, what the? And then just gets shot in the head. Like it's just like, oh, snap. <laughs> it's the- yeah. It's like, hey, Ethan, we need you for a day. Okay, I'll be there. And like, um, yeah, I thought so it was funny. I forgot how short he's in the. I was like, oh, yeah, this is very quick. <laughs> well, this is in the era too where he started, like, I started seeing him pop up in some like low, low budget horror movies. Like, uh, yeah, I think yeah. he was in The Devil's Candy. I don't know if you saw that. Yes, I like Devil's Candy a lot whenever like, I do too. Year that came out, but he started doing like, yeah, more like indie stuff, horror stuff. Um, Cheap Thrills, Cheap which Thrills he's great is in. Great. Yeah. And yeah. he's really good in it. Yeah. Um, doing some i always just think of him as the can't hardly wait guy but he looks so different now it's like <laughs> his name is preston yeah yeah oh yeah I forgot. <laughs> oh man it's a lot of famous prestons um but uh <laughs> i forgot oh, his name was preston um so it's so yeah but it's funny i think i can't hardly wait and he's like looks so different now and um but does all this kind of interesting stuff and i think he's really good in devil's candy uh and then i'm like oh ethan embry's in the guest i forgot because i forgot because he for like three minutes then killed instantly <laughs> um but uh yeah that was fun to show see him show up i i do love the scene well two things I, before i forget i you mentioned very quickly earlier i think uh very early on i always like uh, love the scene where like my, we're in micah monroe's room and we go out the window and go over to uh david staring out the window like uh, just oh that's right blank just like cold like and that's the first indication i think we get something that's like really like weird and off about him it's like that you know he takes that's facade. right after they bond uh, over music in the car and then that's when she goes into her bedroom and it's a very she goes to bed like just happy she's like oh man i someone finally like gets yeah what i'm into and, <laughs> yeah. and and understands my worth because like he has that whole monologue about I mean, this is going to be a very bad uh, uh, Dan Stevens, Kentucky accent impression. But like, he's like, if I had a girl like you back home, oof. and then she just starts smiling. <laughs> and, then, and then the scene after that, you just see him staring out. And it's just like, oh, snap. Like, you're not normal, dude. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that was the first indication, but it's a, a good indication of something that's really off with him. Also, that was not a bad Dan Stevens in this movie. I think it was a pretty decent. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I'm not getting tempted. But yeah, so it's like you really it's chilling. I mean, it's like because they. He's so like there's nothing there. You're like it's like nothing behind the eyes, and it's like oh man, um, he's like a blue eyed demon. <laughs> like like seriously, like he like, is. Yeah, when he when he turns off the charm and just becomes, well, he just becomes like that that Terminator. Like he mm-hmm. literally, it, it's like he takes on a different persona, and then which is which is wild because like. Uh, <laughs> it, again, like it's it's a, it's a testament to how talented Dan Stevens is because. Uh, when he like goes full I, I guess I keep saying goes full Terminator but I, I don't know of, of a better phrase to 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 say it yeah I think that's uh, good I think I think it's a fair <laughs> comparison yeah well because he he starts saying catchphrases and and starts emoting <laughs> a little bit while he's committing all these atrocities and it, it's almost like yeah like dude guys I can't help it like this is just my programming and and you kind of feel I feel like that does still endear you to him even by the end it's like well he he literally 
based on what we know, he is kind of programmed to, to do these things or react this way whenever he's attacked. And, and yeah, so. I mean, yeah, he, I, that's why I'm so impressed by his performance. He keeps like, he'll so quickly and subtly sometimes drop the facade, like he's smirking and then it drops or like he just changes it. He turns it on and off so quickly and it's not sometimes super obvious. It's like small things and like a look or an expression. Um, that the just shows, where, yeah. the, the scene where Michael Monroe is like, is like, well, what about him? Like, like uh, what's his story? And then all of a sudden he just raises up this scene always makes me chuckle where he raises up the knife and it sounds like like it sounds like a slasher uh noise like and he like uses his that same hand to scratch his nose and he's like well you know we all have different dog tags we trade them you know uh it, it just i was gonna uh, run that by all at some point and uh it, it's just <laughs> it's just such a bullshit explanation but they buy right. it you know yeah because they're all so charmed by him already the rest of the family is like completely won over um I love he just charms them all one by one. It's like it's pretty brilliant. Uh oh, speaking of charming the family, I have I haven't brought up like my favorite scene in the movie yet, which I think I mean I was gonna ask you that. Uh the bar scene. I love when they go to the bar, <laughs> yes. him and uh the little brother, and that's how he really bonds with the little brother and uh just fucks those guys up so badly. I think that's where I was really in on the movie. Like I think I was already liking it, but I was like, that scene happened, and I was like, Oh, I'm in. I mean, he's fucking with him, he's like send him a couple uh couple of blowjob shots like and he was like do you want to send him to the fellas too it's like do i look why like would i want to send him to their fellas yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do I want to send him to the fellas yeah it's like and then uh i mean just fucks them up and the little brother is just like he said well before he fucks them up he sends them uh all co- uh, cosmopolitans and the waiter's like are you sure you want to do that <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he slides them some money he's just like yeah keep the change <laughs> and the, the the look of, of recognition on that guy as he knows something bad's gonna happen but he's such a, a seedy piece of shit already <laughs> letting these high schoolers just drink at a right. bar it's just yeah. like oh my god this is this is this is what i'm talking about like the movie because i was also so one of the few things i did read uh prior to you know this discussion was that um uh, I, I believe it was Simon Barrett. He said that he and Adam Wingard really love High Plains Drifter. Um, I'm not oh, sure okay. if you're familiar with that movie. I've seen at all. High Plains Drifter. I really like that movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah. No, it's so good. And uh, they love the whole kind of Western uh, drifter coming into a small town. And that and that bar scene kind of reminds me of that. Where again, it works because those kinds of CD characters. I mean, it's what you get in a Western. You know, um, you know, all you have to do is just replace you know, Dan Stevens with a, with a Spencer Tracy and you get, you know, Bad Day of Black Rock or something like that, where, you know, it's just this one-armed guy who just fucks up <laughs> this, this you know, this one guy, you know, and, and that's that's what that scene basically is, but it's just way more extreme, so yeah. It's my favorite scene in that movie, too, I think, when he just fucks him up with the one arm. <laughs> I just watched that the first time, yeah, within the past couple months, and yeah, it was so great. Um, yeah, I do love the whole, I didn't think about that, it's like this whole other comparison about, you know, Western guy drifts into a small town, kind of fuck shit up you know it's like um well because john carpenter was obsessed with that aesthetic especially in the 80s i mean they live is is it begins um i think it even has like western uh, tinges in the music whenever uh rowdy rowdy piper is first introduced um because he's very much a drifter coming into a town and and uh i'm not sure if i don't think they live was a touchstone i'm just kind of spitballing here but it definitely 
this isn't the first time that 80s style filmmakers have used Westerns. I mean, because again, John Carpenter is such a fan of Howard Hawks and that kind of thing. I, 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 it would have to be a part of their DNA by, by osmosis. Yeah. I mean that I, I would think so. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think that's definitely a fair comparison and um, yeah, it's uh I was going to say, like, I do love, it's all scenes we love now at this point. This is what this is like. like <laughs> what other scenes do we love? Um, it's late, people. I'm trying my best. Uh, it's like, I'm tired. But, uh, they, uh, so he, because he's like, he's charming in that scene, but also very threatening in the bar, obviously. And, and it's a threat, um, clearly. And the way he diffuses that conflict is so good. Um, oh yeah, because <laughs> like because uh, the the uh, the staffers look at him and, and they're they're understandably pissed, but at the same time he's like, yeah, whenever the cops come, just tell them some you know rowdy high schoolers came in and took advantage of your bar and you tried to kick them out and they caused a fuss. And by the way, you wouldn't want to tell them that you let them in your bar, right? Right. <laughs> it's just yes. so good. Yeah, it's so that's, good. That kind of stuff. Because then this is what I was going to bring up. So thank you for setting me up. The the scene, the other scene I really loved was when he goes to school with the mom after. Uh, oh yeah the little brother uh has now fought back against the bullies and gotten in trouble for fighting back um and <laughs> you know they're like we gotta expel him he fought it's a zero tolerance policy whatever and dan stevens just plays it and turns it around on him it's like it's like do you like you know do you let kids hit gay kids here it's like that's a hate <laughs> crime and just completely the guy's like well, i don't i don't you the principal's just like what what you know completely <laughs> mentally fucking with him now <laughs> like and just and then kind of it's like you know, we'll take, you got to lessen that sentence. It's like, have a 20 days detention or what? It's like, perfect, great. Is it, we'll take it, you know, it's like, <laughs> uh, just, yeah, another way to, because I think at that point he thinks he might be, he knows Mike Monroe's on to him when he does that and he doesn't want to lose the little brother, um, you know. Or the mom. He, or the mom, yeah, he's trying to gain everybody's, tr- keep the trust still. So uh, great on that level as well. And yeah, I just, uh, he plays it, Dan Stevens played that scene so well. I just love how he, it's very playful. I feel like how he's like fucking with the guy and, uh, well, um, well, because yeah. like the way that fight begins, like in the the way that Luke recollects it, Luke is the brother's name. I keep forgetting. I can't forget um, too. So yeah. <laughs> well, the way that he uh, kind of uh, just quickly tells uh, uh, David that that story, he was like, "This kid called me a gay slur, so I broke a yardstick on his face." And then David's just like, "Awesome." <laughs> <laughs> I think I think just their relationship sums up like the broiness of this movie like both literally and figuratively because anytime yeah. david or someone else like michael moreau just does something awesome that's me i'm just like <laughs> awesome <laughs> you know, <so. laughs> yeah i even I, I feel silly now but i thought of it more as like just a little brother bonding with luke i, I, I call him luke now he's like they, they, they're more of like a friend he's bonding with him as a friend but i also kind of replacing his lost older brother which i didn't even yeah really think about and kind of he comes in and fills that role and i i get the impression i may be totally wrong but um it, micah moreau either i can't really read if she is like really upset about the brother dying or was not really close with the brother um that died and is kind of like why is this guy here but i get the impression that luke was much closer with the brother so I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm reading that Michael Moreau thing wrong. I can't tell if she really is upset about the brother dying, doesn't want this guy in here because she just is weird about it or was not very close to her brother. I think personally, it's actually both. Because uh, okay. I was thinking about that a little bit on this viewing. Um, because um, because visibly, when you first see, when you see Michael Moreau's reaction, 
the first time she sees David and she's like, oh, okay, you called me ma'am. All right, fair enough. I'm not used to this, <laughs> but okay. Uh, like, I think her character is just so disaffected, uh, deliberately so from the family's issues because her dad is, you know, her dad's drinking a lot and her mom is grieving and, and, and probably, you know, the dad is drinking so much because he's grieving in his own way. And, and the brother is, is, you know, off, you know, kind of doing his own thing and finding himself in high school while, you know, being the subject of frequent bullying. And with her, like music is her way of detoxing um, because, because mm-hmm. they, um, because uh, I forget which scene it is, but they cite her age as 20. So it's one of those things where the movie is so lean that you never know if she went to college or if she like came back, uh, she, she did it for a little bit, then came back or whatever, but she, you get, I get, I've always gotten the feeling that she's there in the family strata to, to, to cut, to keep them grounded. I mean, that's her function in the movie throughout it, but it's also, I also get the feeling that that's her way of, of being the, even though she has problems in her own way. I mean, she's, you know, dating a, a guy who um, her dad doesn't approve of for, for mm-hmm. several reasons. And, that kind of thing that's that and music are kind of her only ways of detaching so i think yeah i think that she is upset about her brother's death and is upset that this you know stranger is sleeping in her 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 slain brother's room um but it 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 becomes a bit of a conflict because when when he starts winning her over um it's one of those things where uh whatever the 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 detachment that she probably had to to her older brother already is further declining because this guy is is taking that place for a younger brother so wow oh yeah no very well said i feel like i uh yeah i asked that question i thank you yeah that was a good uh kind of way to think about it honestly um there's probably a lot more going on there see the movie it i do like it doesn't sit there and say all this stuff out loud you know what i mean it doesn't sit there and kind of spoon feed you you know it's kind of like <laughs> it lets you read into it which is more interesting honestly in the long the long run because you can sit here and have conversations about it we don't just know exactly what's going on so um yeah i uh, i'm trying to think what else to say i mean i just really like this movie i've liked it since i saw it um i don't know probably like 2015 probably since you saw it um and well i do i do have to cite my probably my favorite line delivery in the whole movie oh it's please. up there um <laughs> Go ahead, it's, yeah. it's the first time that uh i hate that i didn't mention this before but it's the first time that leland orser and his wife are arguing about what to do with david and he and he <laughs> he's just like uh like you just let a guy in here uh without even knowing him and and she's like well he knew caleb yada yada and he's just like what if he has the PTSD or whatever? <laughs> it's, just such a, it's just such an 80s yeah. style line delivery that Leland Orser, like he has dialogue like that throughout this whole movie and he just nails it every time. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of a, uh, how do I describe him? Uh, lovable schlub. I don't, he's kind of like a goofball. I don't know. It's like, he does not have his shit together, the dad. Like Leland Orser, no, no. it's like this kind of very beaten down, like kind of, I don't want to say idiot, but just kind of it's too strong. But like this kind of guy who's just really kind of a sad sack beaten down by the world, I feel like. So I'm gonna um, have a beer before dinner. Can I offer you one? Like he's just <laughs> he's just always inviting booze to, to just, David every Yeah, scene. just beer all the time. <laughs> so <laughs> um yeah, I don't know. I I really like the guest. I'm glad it has like this cool cult following. I feel like I see it come up every year, especially around Halloween, because it's like it's one of the few um because it has horror tinges, but I I don't 
really classify it as horror, especially not as the first thing I would think of, you know, but it has I a great- I think it's more horror adjacent. Yeah, it's definitely horror adjacent. It's a better way to say it, but it has that great Halloween set piece. So I think Daniel Upper talks about this topic a few times where it's like, there's, he wants more movies that are set at Halloween, but are not horror movies. <laughs> and, uh, mm, you know, yeah. this kind of fits the bill more because horror adjacent, but um, not uh, not a, a slasher or anything like that. It's just like, um, you know, just a crazy hybrid action, horror, thriller, sci-fi, black comedy. <laughs> like, there's so much <laughs> going on. Um, and I dig it. Yeah, I, this is probably like the third time I'd watch it. I really liked it. Um, I don't know what else to say about on my end. If you have more things you want to say, that that's cool before we wrap up. Um, sure, sure. Um, I, I think the last thing I want to add to what your, your point is, is that this movie is... I do think it's a bit of every genre. I would even say it's it's probably not technically a musical, but with its relationship <laughs> to music, you could even shoehorn that in, you know? So uh, there's that too. And uh, I'm super happy, Matt, that, you know, you let me, you know, uh, you, you invited me on here to talk about this movie specifically. And um, because it is, it is one of my favorites. I definitely uh, try to make sure that every October uh, I pull this out and, um, and, uh, I end up watching it, you know, several times each year, you know, uh, to the point to where I was honestly shocked, uh, when I locked on Letterboxd, well, I've never locked the guest before. That's weird. Huh? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I, it, it's just, uh, it's just such a, uh, it's such a mishmash of things that I love. And I think the fact that it's filmmakers behind it, love those things as, as well. And the, the talent in front of the camera is so on point and everybody brought their A game to this thing. Uh, flaws or whatever it's just a it's just a really great time and and it's one of the most uh i i think it's gonna go down we when you think about the 2010s i think it's gonna continue to go down as one of the most just rewatchable uh kind of fun gems from this era in time um i think it's just such an interesting snapshot of what was going on with uh, the horror movement at the time kind of the throwback cinema movement uh the throwback music movement um like we said earlier which kind of you know uh collided into one of the biggest shows on netflix um uh to say the least and and yeah it's uh it's just a great time so if you haven't seen it please please seek it out yes and i don't know i like to tell people if it's streaming somewhere um they don't know i believe it's on hulu uh if it's not hulu it should be on netflix okay yeah i feel like it was on i feel like it was on netflix for a very long time like i feel like it was like a not like an Netflix exclusive. But I felt like I remember just people like I don't know. Maybe I may imagine that, but it's I felt like I was it lived there for a very long time, like years on Netflix. I think to the point where I thought, is this a Netflix exclusive? I think when I first saw it, I'm like, did they buy this or make this? What's going on? Um, Much like yeah. your next, like it, it just it's on streaming like a lot, so. a lot. Yeah, I think the Blu-ray sheet too. I mean, if you haven't seen it and you listen to this whole thing, you should definitely see it. Like listen to us talk about it for like probably two hours. And it's like I should probably see that guest movie. <laughs> like. <laughs> They seem to like that one. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I really, I enjoy it. It's fun. It's very unique. Um, we said Dan Stevens is great. A lot of the cast is great. Uh, Micah Monroe. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a fun, cool movie that I, very rewatchable. Um, yeah. And I don't know, it's a, I don't know what to say, but I really like this movie. <laughs> so I'm glad you, I'm glad you suggested it. Cause like I said, it was kind of on this list of movies I had as topics. So I'm glad we uh, got to talk about it. So. Likewise. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for being here, Preston. Um, 
And do you want to go ahead and like uh, plug anything? People can follow you, podcast you might be on. This, uh, I know we're recording this earlier. This will probably come out like late March, early April, just to give you a time time frame. But, um, but yeah, anything you just want to plug, uh, go ahead. Sure, sure. Um, uh, I was just recently on Schlock and Awe. Um, uh, uh, me and the host of that, we did a, a double feature of uh, the Suicide Squad and the Dirty Dozen. Um, and uh, so uh, if you're fans of that sort of thing, definitely check that out. Um, I was also on Cobwebs very recently, um, or the Cobwebs podcast, uh, speaking about the Lady Eve and other Preston Sturgis comedies. Um, and that was that was so much fun to, to be on as well. And uh, if you want to find me after the fact, uh, please find me on Twitter at P-R-E-S-T-O-M-I-T. And then on Letterboxd at P-R-E-S-T-O underscore M-I-T-C-H. Very cool. Yes, everyone should be following you. I, I don't want to embarrass you, but I really feel like you're one of the friendliest people on Twitter, honestly. Like, I feel Aww. like everyone just like, oh, man, Preston's like, he, you pop in, it's like, you're friendly, it's a friendly guy, everyone's happy to see. Uh, very positive, too, which we always appreciate. And you're, people check out your appearances on the cobwebs, chalk and awe, because they were very good, very fun appearances. Um, and yeah, I will just say for our stuff, um, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Film Feast Pod, you can follow um, me on Twitter at Maplet87, and you can follow me and the podcast on Instagram uh, at Film Feast, all one word. Um, and that's it for this time, guys, and we will see you next time. Bye, everybody. <laughs>